before I let the kids passage. So I'm in Matthew 22, if you're wanting to follow along. It's on page 804 in the Bibles underneath the chairs. If you have one of those, page 804. I'm going to start in verse 34 of chapter 22. Matthew writes, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, kids, you can head to your groups out the back doors. And we're going to continue. I'm going to, in a minute, I'm just going to read. I'm going to continue where I left off and just read through the end of the chapter. It's going to look interesting. It's going to look like these two sections do not go together, <laughs> but they do. So um, I will show you how and why in just a moment. All right, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And if then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we are so blessed to be in your presence. You are welcome in this place. Pour out your spirit on us, Lord that we might not just hear words and think thoughts, but that you might move our hearts and our minds together to align with yours. Lord, that we might have a desire to love God and love people like you do, like you lead us to, like you call us to, and like you created us to. Help me now, Lord, as I, as I just open the scriptures, Lord, I pray you help us to understand them, comprehend them, and then have a heart that yields to them and put them into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I go for a run, I like to run the streets in my neighborhood and maybe the neighborhood next door. So I'll, I'll just, I'm just running down the road and, you know, it's pretty safe in the little neighborhood there. I don't have a lot of car traffic, but, you know, you, sometimes you, you just got to watch. But when I want to run... And so when I want to run, like do some, some side running or backwards, I don't do that in the road. There's a little path that runs around a pond in our neighborhood that I'll go to, and I'll run around on that path. Now, the tr unfortunate part is that that tr path is narrower than the road. It's elevated higher than the road. So if you're off the edge, you can roll an ankle. And, and places, the concrete's broken up, so it's uneven and it's a trip hazard. So when I do run backwards, it's a little risky, okay? It's a little unsafe, and I, it's slower. It takes me longer. It's awkward. But I do it because I just want to work different leg muscles when I'm doing that, and, and that's kind of my goal. But if I want to be safe, I run looking ahead. So obviously, that would be the easier way to, to make the, the run. Well, I see that as a metaphor for how we follow Christ, Okay, there's kind of two ways to walk the Christian life. 
One way is to kind of get on the road, on the path. Let's say you're on the path. And then they go, well, I don't want to sin. And so I don't want to go off the path that way. And I don't want to go off the path that way, which would be symbolizing sin. So I'm always living life, walking backwards, looking over my shoulder, hoping I don't trip on something or get off the path. And that's slow, awkward, risky. But if I turn and look where I'm going, it's much easier. And as I, if I'm looking where I'm going spiritually, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm watching him and I'm looking at his words, his ways, and his works. And I'm seeking to follow those. And that is, is what keeps me focused. But I'm doing that. If I'm looking at Jesus and I'm walking in his way, I don't, I don't really care what's off to the side. I don't have to spend time focusing on that. I just focus on him because he's only always going to lead me the right way. So what would be an easy way to teach somebody, maybe their first time ever hearing this, what would be a good way to explain this? What scripture would you take them to? I think I would take them to today's scripture. And I would say, let's ask this question that's being asked of Jesus. What is the greatest commandment in all of scripture? If you've got one job, what's that job, right? And Jesus' answer is the question, and we're going to walk through this and I'll show you. But the answer, he says, is love. Love. So let's look at it. So here we are, verse, I'm in verse 34. In Matthew, who's writing the book of Matthew, which is what we're preaching through a little at a time. Matthew writes, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, you probably don't know what a Sadducee or a Pharisee is, and you probably don't care. And I would just say this, that they are religious people who were very familiar with the Old Testament law, the Old Testament part of the Bible, the first two-thirds of your Bible. And they were experts at it, and they also were teaching the people, well, at least the Pharisees were, obey that. Okay, the Sadducees didn't really care if you obeyed it or not, but the, the Pharisees did. And they were, but they were both, while enemies against each other, they were both united in their common enemy, who was Jesus. And they're trying to test him and trip him up so that he would be discredited and therefore people would quit following him. So these guys are, have been doing this. As you've, if you've been around lately, you've seen us almost every week for the last three or four weeks. One of these groups has been trying to trip up Jesus. So they get together, they're trying to do it again, and they think they've got a question that'll, that'll make it hard for him. Maybe he'll mess this question up. So verse 36 says, teacher, this is the question. This is, so, oh, I'm sorry, 35. One of them, an expert in the law, that would be the religious law, not legal law like we think of it. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. And here's the question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this was actually a, a, a question that was a controversy. It was a question that had been asked for decades, if not centuries. What's the greatest commandment in all of God's law? What's the numero uno? Now, there were over 600 laws that they had. You talk about a religion with a list of do's and don'ts. Judaism had over, it was like 613 laws, and like two-thirds are do's and one-third are don'ts or whatever. And they were policing whether you obeyed all these laws or not. And if you didn't obey them... Well, you were treated poorly by the church, not the church, but in this case, the synagogue or the temple, the religious leaders, your, your society, your, your business would suffer, your family would give you a hard time. I mean, it just wrecked your life. And so if you got off the rails, you had to get back on the rails pretty quickly or you would get a lot of grief. So it was a, it was an, it was a religion that made you feel like just 
oppressed, which is not, not what's supposed to be, right? And so Jesus is going to, he's going to bring freedom when he explains the answer to the question. Okay, so he, and he, he does something that he doesn't normally do. He answers the question, right? I mean, we've been watching Jesus deal with these people for a lot. And every time they ask him a question, he always comes back, almost always comes back with another question. Or he answers, but he, he basically um, puts them in their place because of the, either the ignorance in which they ask the question or the attitude or the heart. And in this case, he just gives us a straightforward answer. And he actually gives us an excellent answer, the best answer, when he says, the answer to the question is, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, which is an Old Testament scripture, which would have been their Bible back in those days. And except the only thing, difference in the um, Old Testament version, instead of mind, it said strength. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. I don't really think it matters that those two words are interchanged, except for the, just to, I think the point is the same, whether you're reading it out of Deuteronomy or here out of Matthew. Love the Lord your God with all that you are with all that you have at your disposal, okay? You love God with all your emotion. You love God with all your mind. You love him with all your strength. You love him with all your soul. You love him with all your willful decision-making. Everything you can think of, you want to love him with that. That's, that's what he's saying. And he answers the question. This is it. Now, let's, let's break this passage down just a wee bit more. So love, we said, is the, is the command. That's the answer to the question. Okay, and this specifically, love God. That's the answer to their question, his answer to their question. It's not all his answer to their question, but it's what they, if, when they heard it, they're like, yep, I've heard this one before. This is not surprising that he would say this, okay? So let's just break down a couple of words. First of all, love. What, what does love mean when it's used here? Okay, here, love does not mean, I love pizza kind of love. It's not that word love, okay? Even though I love pizza. It's not, I love my brother, brotherly love, even though that's good and appropriate. Um, it's not even, I love my mother's, uh, I love my brother from another mother. Okay, it's not that kind of love, even though that's good. Uh, it's not romantic love. It's not, I love my boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not that. That's fine. That's romantic love. It's approaching, but not even quite, I love my wife or husband. It's even more than that. It's I love unconditionally, sacrificially, the way we should love our spouse and our kids and people. And it's pictured in the way God loves us as seen in the cross of Christ. In Romans 5.8, it says God demonstrates his love. That means he puts it on full display to us. God demonstrates his love in this, that while we, humanity, were sinners, Christ died for us. So God sent his son to die for his enemies. That's the level of love we're talking about. You love people that you like. You love people that are, you, that are like you. You love people that do things for you. You love people that don't deserve it. You love people that don't smell great. You love people that don't vote like you vote. You, vote people like, you love people who don't look like you. You love your enemies and everybody in between. That's the kind of word love we're talking about here. So when he says, love the Lord your God, it's like, okay, I'm supposed to love God with that kind of love. But I can't see God. This is hard. I can't see God. I can't smell God. I can't touch God. I can't feel God. I can't hearably. How do I 
I, I don't know how to do that. And I can remember even as a, you know, years ago, but as an adult, asking the question to myself, how do I, I want to love God, but how do I do that? And I probably have been asked, if I had been asked the question, I probably could have answered it. But have you ever done that where you've asked yourself a question you should know the answer to and you're like, in that moment, you just don't feel like you know it. And so I've wrestled with that question back in the day. Well, Jesus gives us the answer here in the very next verse. Uh, Well, in the next two verses. So he finishes, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. So he answers the question. But then he adds, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So now he's quoting Leviticus 19.18, which is another verse out of the Old Testament scriptures that also was sometimes given as an answer to this question, what's the greatest commandment? Some people would say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Some people would say, love your neighbor as yourself. Some people would use other answers. But no one had ever put them together before Jesus did. And Jesus did this as if there's this coin, and on one side it says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And on the other side it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Almost as if you can't do one without doing the other. To omit one is to omit both. Do you see? They're, they're, they're connected. They're inseparable. Love God. Love people. Now, if you were to ask, who is my neighbor? You would be like the man that Jesus was talking to in Luke 10. And if we had time, we would go through Luke 10's, uh, where Luke uh, gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you don't know that story, it's, it's, a, it's a super read. I think you should read it. It would be really great. Um, but the, the gist of the, the story is this. There's a Samaritan man in the ditch on the road, on this road that connected Jericho to Jerusalem. And he's all but dead. But he's not dead, but he's in there. And a Samaritan man is kind of like, um, like, it's like pick the ethnicity you have the biggest problem with. He's in the ditch, and you're the other. You're the one that has a trouble with that ethnicity, or vi- and vice versa. They don't like each other. The first two that go by are Jewish religious guys, priest and a Levite. And the third guy that goes by, I'm sorry, the one in the ditch is a Jew. The third that comes through is the guy, he's a Samaritan. That's why it's called the Good Samaritan Parable, Darren. Okay. And he helps the guy in the ditch. Okay, he's on, a, he's on a journey, and he's you know, going from place to place. And like you and me, whenever we're going from place to place, we've got a mission, and we don't really want to be derailed or distracted or inconvenienced in any way. But he stops, he helps this man, he tends to his wounds, he puts him on his donkey, and he takes him to a hotel, and he, pays the, he gets him a room, and he pays for the room, and he pays for this guy to take care of him until he gets back to pay him some more so that the guy can eat, sleep, recover from his wounds. Saves the guy's life all at his own expense and time and inconvenience, even when two religious guys went right by and didn't, in fact, saw him and went to the other side of the road. Okay, that's the short version. So at the end of the, all of that parable Jesus gives is to answer the question, who's my neighbor? And the way the Jews thought back in those days was they would think of their neighbor as those people who lived next door. The thing is, they would typically live next door to people that they were related to or were close to but basically people that are just like them, okay? People who talk like them, sounded like them, looked like them, dressed like them, voted like them, all those things, okay? Not that they all, not that they all got along with all their neighbors. I mean, nobody does, but 
not Gentiles. And a Gentile is a non-Jew. It's anybody who's not a Jew. And Jews would not have considered Gentiles their neighbors. They would have considered them their enemies. Jesus answers the question, who showed mercy to the man? And the religious leaders couldn't even say the Samaritan. They said the one who showed mercy. And he said, go and do likewise. Okay? Love your neighbor as yourself. means love the person in your path in need. Neighbor is love the person in your path in need. You say, well, look, sometimes I pass people and they don't look like they're in need. Everyone's in need. All of y'all look like you don't have any needs. I can look across this room and I don't see anybody that looks like they obviously have needs. And every single one of us has needs. Emotional needs, mental needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, financial needs, healthcare needs, family relation counseling needs. We got them, right? We all run across people in our day who have needs. Are we loving them? That would be loving our neighbor. Sometimes you can love them with a word, sometimes with a smile, sometimes with an action, sometimes with a question, sometimes with a prayer, sometimes with financial help, physical help, whatever. But you guys understand this, right? You know what I mean. And Jesus says his command, the greatest of all the commands, is to love. And then he breaks it into two halves, and he says, love God and love people. Okay? And we get this vertical relationship going on between us and God, our creator. Okay? And if you don't know him, then you don't have that relationship yet. But you can. It's available to all, even though it's not automatic. And then you have this horizontal relationship with people. Right? And they're, some of our relationships with people are good. And some of our relationships with people are not so good. Okay? And, and having a relationship with God doesn't transform all those relationships like that, but it gives you the ability to cope with those in a healthy way and influence those relationships towards love. Okay? So the only other thing I want you to see here before I move on is Jesus answers the question, love the Lord your God. Okay? Love the Lord God is what it says. And I want to come back to that, but Lord... God is two words, obviously, uh, but even in the original languages. Um, and together, it's like Lord God Almighty, okay, which would include the personal name of God, but also who he is, his stature, his attributes, okay? This is going to speak to the second part of the question, because you might be tempted to say, well, so it's Jesus' greatest commandment, you know, so... You might be tempted to say, um, why do I have to listen to him? It's none of his business how I live. And, you know, that might offend some of us. It might bother some of us. And my, some of you might say, that's a totally legitimate question. And I would say it could be a legitimate question. So let's answer the question since Jesus answers the question. Verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, this is a softball question. He's setting them up, right? He, he gives them a nice, easy, easy pitch here, and they knock it out of the park. They're like, well, he's the son of David. Everybody knows this, right? This is the religious. They would have all agreed the Messiah is a descendant of King David, okay? And I think if you go to the beginning of the book of Matthew and you see all the generations there, I think it's 28 generations 
between David and Jesus. So when we say son of David, we really mean the great, 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 and if I had time, 28 times, it's the grandson of David. In the line of David, in the line of kings, the Davidic dynasty, okay? And scriptures foretell that the Messiah is from the line of David. Well, if we were to take the time, we would learn that Jesus is from the line of David legally through Joseph, his adoptive father, and through blood through his mother Mary. Okay? All right. So, whose son is he, son of David? They replied. He said to them, verse 43, how, this is the question you really wanted to ask, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Now, what's the speaking by the Spirit? So, this is, this is the, the Bible. We call this the Bible. It's made up of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant Scriptures and the New Testament or the New Covenant Scriptures. Okay? You might call it the Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible bound together. Okay, same one true God progression of how God has revealed himself through all of history, starting in the old covenant and then giving us a new covenant through Jesus Christ. And so it all goes together. But Jesus says, I came to fulfill the Old Testament law, not to abolish it with a new covenant, a new way. But it's not that those ways are inconsistent. They go together such that if a Jew trusted and followed Jesus as their Messiah, the Jew would be a completed Jew which we would call Christian or Christ follower. Now, let's just all agree that all people who call themselves Christians aren't Christ followers, okay, whether they're Jew or not. But that's the, that's the way it's laid out in the Scriptures. And the Scriptures teach us that, um, that um, all Scripture is inerrant, infallible, and authoritative. I like to say accurate and authoritative. Inspired by God. What does that mean? It means God breathed. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, I think. He says, all scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's the idea. Scripture is from the mouth of God. That's what God breathed means. It means your creator had some words for us, has some words for us, and these are them. And he spoke those words through the, in the power of the Holy Spirit through men and, we think, mostly men and women in the Bible. Mostly men in the Bible, but there are some, some uh, songs in the Bible of women that are also Scripture. Okay? And so when it says, speaking by the Spirit, this is Jesus' way of saying to the religious leaders, and you know this is inspired, and you know this is therefore true and authoritative. Now he's quoting... I haven't read it yet, but verse 44 is the scripture he's referring to. It's a quote of Psalm, Psalm 110, starting in verse 1, which David wrote a thousand years before Jesus. So Jesus is 2,000 years ago. Go another thousand and you get to David. Okay? And David wrote a, a lot of psalms, which are like hymns, sp- spiritual songs, um, and, and he, he wrote them, and they are in the book of Psalms. Some of them, I mean, that's not whole book of Psalms is not only David, but this one specifically says in the header, a Psalm of David. So when David writes this Psalm inspired by the Spirit, we're to take it as authoritatively true, okay? And the, while the Sadducees wouldn't have acknowledged it as Scripture, the Pharisees would have, and that's who he's talking to. So, my, so I'm, I'm in 43. He said to them, Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit as he wrote it down, 
calls him Lord. Calls who Lord? The Son, the Messiah, essentially, the second Lord. In other words, if this Messiah is just another king in the line of David, how come David's calling him his Lord? That doesn't make sense, right? No father bows to his son if they're both equal in station. It doesn't make sense, right? And, and they would have understood it that way. So unless there's something about that son that elevates him above his father. That would have to be pretty significant. Not above just any father, the, the, king of, the, the best king Jews, Judah, uh, Israel's ever seen. And so then it gets into the words here, and it's a little confusing. So let me see if I can clarify it for you. Verse 44, the Lord said to my Lord. So there's two different words happening here. The first word, Lord, is, um, is Yahweh, which is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, That's God's name in the Old Covenant. The second Lord is, so that's the Hebrew word, Yahweh. The second word, Lord, the word is Adonai which means Lord or Master. And it can mean Lord of a house, Lord of the, the group of people, Lord of a, of a kingdom. It, it can, you know, just Lord of a slave, whatever. It can mean all those different things. Lord, it's little L Lord. That's why I like to call it. But it's referring in the context to the Messiah. Okay, and the religious leaders know that, and Jesus knows that, which is why he's bringing it up. So David is writing, so... This is written right here by David. David wrote, the Lord, Yahweh, God, said to my Lord, the Messiah. So David is saying that his descendant is going to be his Lord in some way. Sit at my right hand, God is saying to the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, this is how I keep it straight in my Bible. I wrote the word God over the first Lord and Jesus over the second. So when I read it, I think this is what it's saying. God said to my Jesus, sit at my right hand until I put my, your enemies under your feet. That's the way I read it. I think that's the way it reads. I'm not just saying that's my opinion. I think that's what it actually says, Okay. So he's saying this to ask them this question that they won't answer. They can answer it. They won't answer it. Okay? If then David, I'm in verse 45. If then David calls him, that is Messiah, Lord, how then can he be his son? And it says, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him more questions. Why is that? Why would they not answer the question that they knew the answer to? Because they didn't believe it. Because they didn't, they knew what was happening. Jesus is, beca- is being called the Messiah. He's days away from the cross. He's going to be executed on the cross very soon. He knows it. They are trying to make it happen because they don't believe he's truly what he claims to be, which is more than a man, not just the son of David, not just the son of mankind, but the son of God also, which makes him the God-man, which makes him human and divine. Okay, and I realize if you're hearing that for the first time, that's strange. Okay, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Okay, I'm not going to tell you why God did it that way. I don't know why He did it this way, other than to accomplish something that could only be accomplished if a man who is divinely by God to die for the sins of the world could do it. He's the only one who qualified to do it because He was the only one who could, who lived a human life, tempted as though we are. Tempted as we are, though he did not sin. 
So he's an unblemished lamb, if you will, sacrifice for the sins of the world. Because if he's blemished, then he's not a good enough sacrifice. We need a substitute that is unblemished, pure, holy, righteous, no sin tainting. And Jesus, the Messiah, accomplishes that when he dies in my place on the cross for my sins and on the cross for your sins too, whether you accept him or not. He dies for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so that's why he does it. So why is this passage here? Jesus is saying, love God, love people. Because I said so. Because it's good. Because I'm a beautiful creator and that's the way I created things to happen. And I am your Lord and uh, I am your Savior if you trust me. But I am your Lord whether you trust me or not. And so I am commanding you to do what is good and right for our world. And that is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I just think it's cool that it makes a cross when you think of those relationships. You think of the old, you think of the Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments all have to do with our vertical relationship with God. The second six have to do with relationship with people. I just don't think those things are coincidences. I think God is saying all through his word over and over and over, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we love us himself, don't we? That should tell us something. So let's go back to our imagery. Right, our, our metaphor at the very beginning. So if, and you guys that have been around, you know that this is the broad road and this is the narrow way. So Jesus said there's a broad road. Spiritually, there's a broad road and most people find it and go down it and it leads to destruction. He says, look for the narrow way, the narrow door that leads to life and few find it. But when we find it, how do we go down that road? Well, you can try to back down the road if you want, but you're probably going to end up in the ditch a few times. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be painful. It's not going to go very well. Or you can turn and look at Jesus, the Messiah, who has authority over you and me, and say, I want to do it his way. I want to go in his, the way of his words and his ways and his works, and I want to walk towards him and love God and love people and lead others to do the same. Okay? That's what he's calling us to do. That's Christianity 101. And the thing is, it's probably the easiest thing to understand. You could teach a child and a child is like, okay, I get that. What's the challenge? Doing it consistently with the right motive, not just outwardly doing it, inwardly motivated to do this. So how do we do that? This is the 60-second version, and that's all you're going to get today, okay? The how is, I'll use the, the, acron, the acrostic, L-O-L. That's where you're supposed to laugh out loud, right? L-O-L. Thank you for working with me. L, learn, O, obey, L, lead. Learn by prayerfully reading the scriptures, and the scriptures will show you how to do what the scriptures tell you to do. O is how you know whether it's making its way to your heart. If you then obey the scriptures that you're learning, then you're, you're leaning in, you're surrendering, you're learning what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And now you're empowered to love people who are really hard to love, right? 
I mean, just think about trying to love Christians. I mean, that's really hard, right? Christians, man, they're the, some of the hardest people to love, right? Because they're so self-righteous sometimes, aren't we? Let's just be honest. Christians are some, we have such a high bar for Christians, but I digress. Okay, so we're going to love all people. We're going to love our friends. We're going to love our enemies. We're going to love our family. Yep, all of them. We're going to love our, our, our enemies. We're going to love people who look like us and who don't as we love ourselves. Okay, now how do I do that, Darren, when I don't even like them? And it's like, okay, well, you can love somebody without liking them. You can love somebody without trusting them. Okay? Why would I love somebody that's my enemy? Here's why. In Genesis 1, it says that God created all people in his image. Every single person on the planet... Every single person ever walking the earth has been created in the image of God. That means that uniquely we can reason and we, can, we understand the concept of sacrifice. We understand the concept of love, not just an outward faking it. We genuinely understand and comprehend, and we are the only creatures in all the universe that have that capacity. I don't care if there's Martians. I don't care if there's people on other planets. They don't have this because they're not made in the image of God unless they're human. Okay? And therefore, we treat one another with kindness and respect. That's love. Okay? And truth. Even though we don't like them very much. Or maybe we're even afraid of them because they look a certain way and we're like, oh, I don't know what... I don't love them because they're made and they're a fellow image bearer. We are all image bearers of the one true God who created us and he didn't have to, but that's what love does. Love creates beauty. When he created us, it was beautiful. There were no mistakes. There were no problems. And then we rebelled and in came sin and in came brokenness and the world we live in and all the corruption and everything else that's part of it is all a consequence of sin. Sin has consequences. My sins have consequences. Your sins have consequences. Some of us are living with lifelong consequences because of our sins. Well, probably all of us. But love conquers it all. And when I love God, it means I trust him. And that's where, with that relationship with God, to love God is to learn to trust him. Not perfectly. Okay? I've never trusted God perfectly. But I've had my moments and I'm building on them, and I'm trusting, and, I'm, and therefore I'm loving him, and my love is seen in my obedience to his word, his ways, his works. And evidence that I'm doing this is that I love people. The way I speak to them, the attitude I have towards them, no matter how they treat me, no matter how many times they cut me off on I-26, I love them and respect them, and I'm kindly praying for them through clenched teeth because I don't want to forgive them right? You see? It's hard. LOL gets us to the place if we will consistently learn from the word, obey what it says, and lead others to do the same. Follow me as I follow Christ down this narrow way. That's how it is. That's, what, that's how you love God and love people. Okay? I'll end with this and I'll pray. Um, the great commandment is to love God and love people. That's the great commandment. It's a, it's, that's the nickname for it. The Great Commission, it flows right out of the Great Commandment. Go make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you until the end of the age. Jesus saying these last words, we will see them when we get to the end of Matthew. And Jesus saying, if you really want to love somebody, you won't just say, I love you. You won't just give them something to eat, but you'll give them the bread of life, which is how they can know, trust, and follow the Lord Jesus, which is what I'm getting ready to do. Okay? So um, most of you, not everybody, most of you have walked down this road where you've said, I trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to follow him like you've described. I want to love God, and I want to love people. Okay? And you've gotten off the rails this week, maybe in the last 10 minutes. Whatever, you know, you're, you're going to get back on track. How do you get back on the narrow way? You repent and believe that God is good and that he has forgiven you because Jesus has already paid the price for the sin. So you go to God and you say, I repent of that attitude, that thought, that word, that action, I repent, and I turn back to you, and I'm back on track. And God is right there ready to embrace that, okay? If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're like, I don't even know. This is brand new. I don't even know what this is. But you hear God thumping on your heart saying, trust me, follow me. I'll show you the way to go. It's the same two steps. It's repent and believe. It's repent. I want to quit walking my way because my way isn't working very well. And I want to turn and walk your way, Jesus, because this is the way that leads to true life. I want to be a life of love to those around me until you take me home. And then when then life really gets started. Okay, But it all happens in this life. The decision happens in this life. We don't get to decide later. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us pray right now. We need your help. We don't, we don't all have the words, but we have emotions, thoughts running through our hearts and our heads. I just pray you'll help us to pray to you right now a prayer that would lead us to the narrow way, a prayer that would lead us to put our eyes back on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, a prayer that would help us to get our eyes off the ditches of sin and eyes centered on you who calls us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we confess we have not done this well. We don't even know all our neighbor's names. How can we love our It's hard to love a neighbor. You don't even know their name. Help us repent and believe that there's a better way. And it starts with surrender. I surrender. <clears throat> Lord, help us surrender our hearts to you right now. Help us surrender our minds to you right now. Help us surrender our habits to you right now. Our wallets, our calendars, our car keys, our phones, our dreams, our ambitions. Lord, help us to realize that you have a better way. There is nothing, your way is superior to any other way, no matter how good or noble it may be. Help us to recognize you for who you are, our creator and our redeemer. And help us have the courage to say, I do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.